Okay, enough all that hugging. <laughs> can't, can't help loving one another, huh? Uh, just a reminder, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Dr. Pat is going to be here to answer all your questions regarding health insurance. Uh, so if you weren't here Sunday, uh, when it was announced, uh, it'll be tomorrow night. And again, if you have any particular questions, um, you know, Dr. Pat Lababera has a really understanding of that, those kinds of things, and he can answer any, any particular question that you might have. And uh, the whole purpose of it is to save you money. And he has done that for lots of people. Uh, also, too, uh, Calvary Chapel Magazine has come in. And uh, the, uh, this particular uh, issue, this copy, is a, a memorial done to for uh, Kay Smith. Uh, Kay just passed in the last year. And uh, you want to get the issue because it's full of pictures and the history of Calvary Chapel. Uh, just... Uh, uh, Really, I've seen, I've seen just a few of some of those pictures over the years, but uh, there's a pretty good collection there of pictures of, of Chuck and Kay early on and, um, and how God uh, used them in a very uh, wonderful way. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Job. We're in the book of Job, Job chapter 2. Uh, last week, we saw uh, Job take a, a, just a number of brutal blows um, when we think about the loss that, that Job in, incurred, uh, probably none of us will ever experience anything like that, to lose not only your livelihood, uh, to lose everything you've ever worked for, but most of all, to lose 10 children and one foul swoop. Uh, just an incredibly painful um, and we've seen, uh, you know, Job's response uh, at the end there of chapter uh, 1, where he says, uh, and, and again, you know, after this all took place, and, and there was a conversation that took place in heaven between the Lord and Satan, and he wasn't aware of that. He was not aware of what was taking place behind the scenes. And after this all took place, you know, he, he, he shaves his head, and we're told here that he, he falls to the ground, he worships, and he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. And the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so again here, uh, what an incredible uh, faith and witness we see from this man. Now we move into chapter 2 here. And in chapter 2, once again, we're in heaven. Okay, we've seen this conversation go from heaven behind the scenes, uh, and, and then to earth again. And now we're back in heaven uh, relative to this particular conversation between the Lord and between the devil. Um, and, uh, and again, we don't know how much time has elapsed between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And also, too, there's this conversation taking place Job knows nothing about. He knows nothing about this conversation, and he does not realize in any kind of way that he is a subject matter. But again, we get, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us insights, you know, as to what has taken place. And I'm sure Job came to understand that, you know, uh, later. Uh, it's believed also, too, that, uh, that Moses perhaps wrote maybe those first two chapters by revelation. We don't know that for sure, but that's kind of a conjectural point that some of the scholars kind of bring in. 
because it's something that would only be known after the fact kind of a thing that was added in, you know, to the story. So in uh, uh, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 1, and Lord, let's just uh, pray first. Father, we, we thank you for your word. It's always instructive. Lord, uh, you have imparted much wisdom to us as we have, Lord, studied the scriptures. Lord, as we have distilled the truths. Lord, as we see them, Lord, at work in the life of uh, a fellow believer. And Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for the insight, for the understanding. Lord, uh, and, and for the, just the, the work of your spirit, Lord, in our lives. Lord, teaching us, Lord, helping us to, to benefit, Lord, from our trials. Lord, not just to, be, not just to, to end up as a bitter person, uh, to not have, Lord, uh, tragedies that may touch our lives in some way, to not have them define us. But, Lord, to be able to, to pick up and to move on and, and to experience grace in a, in a fresh new way. So we thank you for these things, Father. And, Lord, I thank you for those who are here tonight, those who might be uh, listening in by way of stream. And, Lord, we pray that uh, once again you would bless your word to our lives. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also uh, among them to present himself before the Lord. So angelic authorities obviously have to present themselves. They have a responsibility to go to the highest court in the, uh, in the universe, and that is God. And one of the things that we saw last time that we see, we see also, too, in this particular chapter, that before Satan can touch a believer, that he has to gain permission. Uh, he just cannot uh, do whatever he wants to do. Uh, he has to get a special permission from the Lord to do certain things, and I'm thankful for that. You know, one of the things that we uh, are made aware of, um, it wouldn't be otherwise, uh, and that is of spiritual warfare and, and how Satan would love to destroy us if he could, uh, but he can't. And we're so thankful also, too, for the greater revelation of the New Testament the fact of the matter is that you know, greater is God who is in us uh, than he who is in the world. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, well, anyway. Uh, the Lord said to Satan, <clears throat> from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So there's a similarity here to a degree um, uh, with chapter 1. But Satan comes, remember, the Bible tells us he's an accuser. What of the brethren? Revelation chapter 12. Okay, we get other insights in the Gospels about him. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. Uh, he, tries to, he will try to steal blessings from us. Um, he will try. He's a destroyer. Uh, he tries to destroy. He destroys so often, you know, uh, cultures, societies, marriages, homes, all those sorts of things. And so we have these insights. And so he comes now uh, once again to accuse Job. And the fact of the matter is, he's lost big uh, in chapter 1 because, you know, he had his you know, little philosophy that uh, Job was a mercenary. Uh, he accused Job uh, before God that he's just serving you for, for material stuff and you, uh, you, you, know, you take away those material things and, and he's not going to serve you anymore. And, of course, uh, we see that he was proven wrong. And uh, so that was a big one for him. And now he comes back again, uh, round two, I guess you could say, for an attack um, on Job and uh, on his life. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. I, I mean, there couldn't be a higher commendation when you think about it. This is spoken right from the throne. And the Lord said that before. You know, he's, he's upright. You know, he, he's blameless. This is a man that has incredible integrity. What a commendation, you know, from the Lord himself. There's none like him on the earth, blameless, upright, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although, the Lord says, you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And, uh, you know, when you think about it here, uh, you know, Job's integrity um, how it brings glory and praise and honor to God, you know, when, when there's integrity, you know, in our lives. I, I think, you know, Satan, he does, I think, size somebody up, uh, make an assessment, you know, on their life, how, the, how he can maybe destroy them and how, how he can tempt them to try to pull them away from the Lord and those sorts of things. But there's something about, you know, the righteousness of Christ in our life. There's something about this whole thing that we call, you know, integrity. And the word integrity... Uh, basically means just to be to be upright, uh, to not have any to be blameless is to not have anything against us. I can't be blamed for anything, uh, and we see that uh, this 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 guy Job, uh, he was the, the greatest man in all the East, um, as the Scripture tells us there, and so tremendous integrity, you know, in this man's life, and uh, and it's just simply because he's known the Lord. He's known the Lord. That's how he could bow down and worship in the face of incredible tragedy, and say something like that, you know, naked I came into the world. Um, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, we know how it is, how difficult it is to praise God and to thank God and to worship Him in the face of whatever trial. And our trials aren't anything like this. Uh, but this kind of statement comes from integrity. There, there's integrity in the life. And that's why it's so important that whatever trials that you and I are experiencing, whatever we're going through, um, God is working his grace in our life. You know, God is, is, you know, replacing things in our life, maybe the way we used to respond, the way we used to react, the way that we used to handle things, you know, the old man, the old nature, those sorts of things. And he's re replacing them, in a sense, with those things that are in accordance with his nature. Uh, the nature of Jesus, you know, when we study him, that's, in a sense, what God is making. Um, and and that, that's a work, in a sense, that takes place over our lifetime. It isn't anything, yes, we, yes, we receive a new nature, uh, but also, too, there's that, you know, that work of ongoing grace, um, you know, where he is working in our life. He, we call it, you know, this, this work of sanctification, him, you know, setting us apart more and more for himself, and you'll find this. And I think as we go through, through you know, our experience in life, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work that process in us where he's freeing us, freeing us from ourself, from our selfishness, from our desires, you know, from our plans and the things that you know, we may purpose in life. And, um, and we may have those kinds of, you know, there's nothing wrong with having plans and hopes and aspirations and those sorts of things. But are we willing, are we open if the Lord wants to change that? The Lord wants to, you know, just say, okay, we're taking, we're taking, you know, another turn here. And, and it's one of the things that, you know, I think you have probably discovered and I've discovered in my particular life uh, to be open, to be flexible, to allow God to sometimes change. And sometimes he may want to change us at the last minute. Um, and those kinds of decisions aren't easy. Uh, but as we do that, we, we allow God's spirit, you know, to fill us in a fresh new way and to enable us and to make us more and more like him.
So here he still, he holds fast to his integrity, uh, the Lord says. And so Satan answered the Lord, verse 4, uh, and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has will he give for his life. So we come to another philosophy, another doctrine the devil has about basically about human nature here. And maybe perhaps the idea is here in, in uh, the devil saying this is, is um, you've only gone skin deep. But if you just touch his flesh and his bone, then he will curse you to your face. In other words, what's taking place? I think what's taking place is a little more than skin deep, wouldn't you think? Okay. But again, this is how the devil is trying in any way to get, you know, to get at Job um, to, uh, to somehow maybe destroy this guy and, and, and make his point. Um, so skin for skin, yes, all that a man has. And, and it's interesting, too, uh, that in many cases, this may be a truism about people when, when it comes to their body, you know, when it comes to survival, um, that sometimes you know, people will do anything. They will make any kind of claim. They'll, they'll you know, uh, I've heard of situations where, where people, uh, where rich men were, were, you know, were dying and they would give all of their riches, all of their wealth for another six months or for another year, whatever the case may be. So this may be a truism uh, in a certain kind of way about maybe the average man, the, the, you know, the, the normal everyday individual because we know how it is. You know, we live in this. We live in this humanity. We know what this human nature is like. And sometimes it can be very, very demanding. And sometimes it could almost, you know, if we look at maybe our life before Christ, some of the things that we would say or do, you know, basically, to, you know, get out of a situation or survive it or whatever the case may be. And so skin for skin, yes, all that a man has will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and now touch his bone and his flesh, and surely he will curse you to your face. So if you just touch him physically, if you remove his health, and again, there's something, you know, we become very vulnerable when we're sick. Um, just last May, being sick for a whole month with COVID. And um, both my wife and I, Margie and I, both were sick. And, uh, and I've heard this testimony. Uh, it wasn't so much an issue with me. Um, but I've heard this testimony from a number of people that had COVID that they thought that they were going to die. And, and when we're sick in that kind of way, we're vulnerable. We're, we're very vulnerable, um, you know, when that kind of thing touches our life. And, uh, and, the, and the, the enemy, I think he comes in at those particular times, that, you know, to tempt us to think in a certain kind of way or maybe to feel that, you know, uh, here you are, you've been a servant, you've been a faithful servant of God, and, and why is God allowing you to be sick like this? Why is God? And he's always trying to paint God, you know, into the corner as the bad guy. He's always trying in some kind of way to get us think in a negative way about God that very simply God is not good. I mean, that started right in the garden, didn't it? With, with Adam and Eve, and the, the inference and the implication was in the temptation you know, if God loved you, Adam and Eve, then he would let you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. Here's that, that one tree. He's hiding something from you. He's, he's keeping something from you. And the fact of the matter is, he was keeping something from them. He was keeping death from them. Uh, you know, God, God's ways are perfect. And, and the enemy so often tries to, 
make God look bad in some kind of way, and if any way, at least in our thinking. You know, he's, he's left me. He's abandoned me. He, he doesn't love me. And, uh, why, you know, why isn't he? Why, you know, sometimes you do feel alone in your circumstance, in your situation, you know, and you don't feel, you know, you don't have that sense and that awareness or that feeling of the presence of the Lord in our life. And, and so, you know, the devil comes in and he tries to capitalize on that. Um, and, and attack, you know, our, our faith and our, in, in, in our thinking. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So uh, he gets permission uh, to go one step further, but it's with a caveat. The caveat is basically spare his life. Okay, I'm going to allow you to, to touch his face, faith, uh, excuse me, his flesh rather. And, uh, and we're going to see what takes place, what happens here. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself which, while he sat in the middle of the ashes. One of the things that we have to realize is that the enemy is not omnipotent. He, he has power, but his power is on a leash. You know, I wrote a few things down, and I think we need to understand that. Because one of the things that I think is important for us, we need to respect the power of the enemy. Okay, um, not that we have to be coward and cower from it or be, be you know, uh, fearful or worried and all that sort of thing. But we need to respect that power. Uh, he has power to move people to do evil things. You see that. Um, look, look what happens when he gets hold of a world leader. Look at the look at the Caesars. Look at Idi Amin. Uh, look at Hitler, look at Stalin, look at Mao Zedong, look at these individuals. When Satan gets a hold of one man, and if that person's in a position of power, how that can affect. I was just uh, listening to a video of a gal who was just a kid during the Cultural Revolution uh, in China. And, uh, and that took place from 1949 to, I think, around 1969, where they just basically destroyed everything. Um, it's interesting when you see what happens uh, when communism takes over a nation. I think maybe they ought to teach that in some of our high schools and maybe some of our colleges and how destructive it is. And she was just saying basically uh, communism is basically um, the, the Cultural Revolution was to destroy everything. Everything that had any kind of semblance you know, to the West and so forth, and every, anything that even had to do with the, uh, the antiquity, uh, you know, of their ancestors uh, and so forth. So, yes, Satan can get a hold of individuals. He has power to do that, and, and he moves, he can move individuals. Sometimes we may know somebody, and it's, you, you, you know, maybe you never say it to their face, but you say, man, that person is just motivated by the devil. You know, some of the things that they do, some of the things that they say. Also, too, that we can see, and we'll see it in this story, and we see it also in the Gospels. He can use wind and weather to either hurt or destroy people. Remember, he tried to do it with the disciples and Jesus in the boat. Remember that? That, would, that No doubt, Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind. Okay? So, and we see it here. We see uh, the, the wind was brought and wiped out Job's family. So uh, he's able to do those things. Uh, also, too, he can use sickness and disease to afflict people. We see that many different times. Jesus, when there was a certain sickness, okay, when there was a certain sickness uh, that was satanically inspired, he would rebuke the devil, call the demon out, and that person would be healed. Also, too, he has power to possess and influence individuals. And again, we, it doesn't mean that we should cower in any kind of way. 
but we need to be wise, you know. That's why the scripture teaches us these things so that we have insights in, in order to understand what's going on behind the scenes uh, and not react. Like, for instance, you know, as the scripture says, you know, when somebody might be inspired by Satan to hurt us or do something against us, that, that you know, that our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Because that's, Satan knows that. So he knows that naturally we'll respond to that person, you know, to that individual, uh, you know, word for word and, you know, act for act and response for response kind of a thing. And, and that's what, how Satan draws us into the arena, into the flesh, because we don't realize, you know, it's, that, it's the spirit behind that person. That's why, you know, we can accomplish so much more by prayer, Okay. Even sometimes, you know, sometimes we feel like we can, we want to discuss it. We want to discuss it, uh, and, and maybe we can kind of figure it out kind of a thing. We are going to accomplish so much more when we pray uh, against those things that we can't see, we can't understand, uh, particularly when it comes to maybe relationships or impasses or, you know, things that maybe take place between, you know, us and, and, and other people, whether it's on the job or in the community, whatever the case may be. Thus far, we have not heard from Mrs. Job, okay? This is the only time that we hear from Mrs. Job. And one of the things that we have to understand, with all of her loss, we realize that she is deeply grieved. We, we have to understand that. She, she's in a place, and, and sometimes a trial can just so um, impact a person's life where they're just, they're numb. They're numb. They, can, they, can't even, they can't even process what's taking place. And I think when we look at Job and his wife, um, we understand her loss. We understand her bitterness uh, in this particular situation. And when you, when you think about what, how she re is responding and reacting to this situation, any one of us could, could act in, respond in this kind of way. Uh, imagine, again, imagine here she is, the mother of ten children. And they're adult children, but, but she has lost all of her children. What a difficult place. You know, in his book, we all have heard of C.S. Lewis, okay, uh, just a, a brilliant individual. Um, he was a professor at Oxford in, in, in England, and um, he married a, a gal from the U.S. Uh, her name was Joy. I can't think of her last name, but, um, and she was a Jewess. And um, married her, and uh, she passed away. They didn't have a very long marriage. But in his book, A Grief Observed, there's one place in it he refers to God as a cosmic sadist. <laughs> Pretty strong, isn't it? For, for C.S. Lewis, you know, to, to make a statement like that. But it shows you what it reminds us of is the fact that, you know, there are certain things that we, can, that we might say when we're in that kind of bitterness, when we're in that kind of pain. You know, the, you know we might strike out, you know, in that kind of a way. Um, you know, a person, you know, a believer might just go on a, just a litany of, you know, of, of profanities and cursing, you know, because of a situation that's deeply wounded and hurt them. And obviously this has taken place. And then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She knew he was Mr. Integrity. She understood that. You know, she understood that. And, and, um, and yet in her grief and in her pain, to her, death was the only option. 
I think I think there's there are many people, you know, in in when it comes to painful things like this, and not even to this degree. But uh, think of how many people today even ponder and even commit suicide, not even they've had any kind of great loss like this, but they're maybe just depressed, you know, depressed about their life, depressed about their, you know, their circumstance and their, and their situation. And uh, one of the things in our prayer meeting, we pray, for, we pray about this all the time because um, suicide is at an all-time high. And, uh, and, I, and I, I've, I've always found that very, very uh, fascinating given we live in a culture whereby, for the most part, we have everything we need at our fingertips. And I've, in, in after having traveled in the third world, um, there isn't that kind of a suicide rate in the third world. And my, what I've deduced, what I've, what I've thought about as a result of, you know, why do we have such high suicide rates uh, in this, you know, this affluent uh, society where so many people want to come, you know, to this world and you know, to this America and, and experience uh, what you know many Americans have simply taken for granted, and and I think therein lies the the very issue. I think because we live in such an affluent culture, where we have so many things available to us, that when people you know they've arrived or they've grown up in wealth and, and affluence that um, here they have everything that heart could wish. And they're saying to themselves, why, why, why am I happy? Why, why am I depressed? You know, what, what's wrong with life? I, ha I, have, I, have, I have everything. And that's, that's part of the problem, is, is they, they have everything, but yet they don't really have any hope. Because they put their hopes in, you know, uh, that, you know, so many peop people put their hope in materialism or money. If I have, you know, if I just get enough money and if I just get to this certain kind of place in life, you know, I'm going to be so blessed, I'm going to be so happy. But when they get there, they find out there isn't happiness in those things. Our, our happiness, our joy, it can only come because of our relationship, you know, with the living God, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So she says, curse God and die. And he, he, he didn't give up. <laughs> And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? So in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, the Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your faith is small. And we find here, Job here, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't quit. He doesn't give in. He doesn't allow this. And of course... Um, Mrs. Job is, is distraught, and her heart is broken, and we really don't hear anything else. Uh, she just muted, muted by this incredible circumstance, and, and again, I would never, I would never um, condemn her for that, uh, realizing that her pain is so incredibly deep in her grief. So once again, we see here in verse 10, the devil is proven wrong. Now we come to Job and his friends, and you know, there's going to be a lot that we can say about these three guys because they're, they're, they're going to go on, you know, for a number of chapters, uh, feeling that they have got the explanation for Job. They're going to counsel Job about, you know, his circumstances, situation, why and wherefore, how this all happened and so forth. 
um, and, and later are going to say certain things about them. But you know something? I, I, I do want to mention there are some qualities that we want to admire in these guys. There are some qualities here, and we find them here in the rest of chapter 2. We're told now, now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, that each one came from his own place. We have Eliphaz, the team he has said, you know, thus far in handling this incredible, very difficult situation. And of course, when, you know, <laughs> you know, in his wishing not to have been born, it reminds me of the story of George Bailey. Okay, anybody remember? It's a Wonderful Life, that story. And remember, George Bailey was a banker, and he lost all the money, and Mr. Potter, the other banker, confiscated the money, stole the money on him, and here he is. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna commit suicide. He's, 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 he's on the bridge, and he, and he dives in the water to, you know, to, to end his life, and then there's the angel. You know, the angel uh, what was the angel's name? I'm not sure. uh, was it? Clarence, yes, Clarence, the angel. And it's an interesting kind of story, but the, the angel ends up showing him what life would have been like, you know, in uh, Bedford Falls without George Bailey. And it's an interesting kind of a story. Uh, actually, when the movie came out, like uh, 1949, it wasn't very popular at all, so it's become a whole lot more popular today. But again, you know, you think of it, sometimes we think, you know, my life doesn't have any impact. Wish I wasn't born, you know. Your life has tremendous impact. And how our lives impact one another. I know when things you know, aren't going good, you know, life is, feels rotten. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we don't always stay there. We don't always stay in those, you know, those bad times, those difficult circumstances and situations. You know, God wonderfully, you know, by his grace, he, he has a way of, yeah, we have, to, we have to go through those certain things. We have to just go through certain situations and circumstances. But he brings us through that. He doesn't leave us there. God is grace and God is faithful and God is going to, he's going to work all things to the good. You know, I think, I, you know, I wonder, if, I wonder if Joseph thought, you know what? Here I'm in this prison. I'm a young guy. My, my brothers all hate me. And I'm never going to get out of this prison. But yet, his faith overcame his fear. Um, and, and we see what, you know, God took him from the pit to the prison to the palace. And, um, and, and someday, you know what? We're going to be in a palace. Right? We're going to be in, in, in that celestial city. And, uh, and we'll look back, you know, we'll look back at all the trials of this life. And we'll realize, you know, how God used them. And how God was with us um, and how he was perfecting, you know, our faith and making us more and more, you know, like himself. And so he goes on to say here uh, in this uh, final section of chapter three, uh, he poses seven different questions. And they're not questions that he or we can, can really answer. Only God can answer these questions. And he says, why did I not die at birth? He's kind of stuck on that. Uh, why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Uh, why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? So four for these why questions. Uh, and, you know, questions are kind of easy, but getting the answers are not so easy. It's always, you know, and the thing is, you know, sometimes... Uh, 
Uh, we may get certain answers for our questions. And one of the things I've discovered that the scripture gives us answers to so many things. But sometimes our specific answer, we may feel we can't get, or a question rather, we can't get the answer for that, or it's not coming according to the time. I need that answer. Sometimes we feel we need certain information. We need to, you know, we need to make, need to make a quick decision. So let me encourage you, wait on the Lord. You know, wait on the Lord. Um, and, and, if, and if you're a person that's always got a lot of questions, I'll tell you what, you can't do any better than reading your Bible. Reading your Bible. God will speak to us through his word. He, he is faithful. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get the answer you, you want. <laughs> uh, he doesn't always give us the answer, but he will answer you. He will answer you. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. Uh, but he will basically, as we're you know, seeking him for direction and guidance for an answer, um, certainly he will, he will speak into our lives. You know, Warren Wearsby said this, we live on promises, not on explanations. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that short phrase. We live on God's promises. But we don't live, and, and that's why you'll discover God isn't one who just so quickly offers up some explanation. And sometimes, depending on our personality, we can demand answers. Oh, God, free us from that. Free us from having to need. I, I, just, I, 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 I have to have an answer on this kind of a thing. Well, if God doesn't answer us, he's got a purpose in that. And we may just have to wait on him. And if we have to do that, there's something beneficial in it. There's, I've discovered, you know, there's been times in my life, the waiting periods, they've always been beneficial. I didn't know, always know what God was working out, but he's always working out something, something good and purposeful, you know, in our requests and in our prayers as we seek him. Now, he goes on to say in verse, you know, 13 here, and, and again, you can just see he's longing, he's yearning for, for rest and peace of mind. For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. And I, and, and I would have been at rest. Uh, you know, any of us know that when you're stressed, you can't sleep. You just, you're, you're, you're in turmoil. Your mind is just kind of racing. And, and, uh, and there's all kinds of, all kinds of uh, stress that's going on in your life. And it's very hard to find sleep and and when you've gone for maybe a few days without sleep, you just you look like an absolute mess. He says, with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes uh, who, have, who, have, who, ha or who had gold and filled their houses with silver, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child? In other words, um, why wasn't I miscarriage? Why wasn't, I just, why wasn't I just born dead? It would have been born, better to be born dead to, than to go through what I was going through. And again, you know, life can seem so incredibly painful at times that it seems to be, it just seems to be that death somehow could just be, it could be a release for us. But that's not always true. That's, that's not true. There, 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 there's, a, there's a time to die, but there's a time also to, to live and trust the Lord. Even perhaps, you know, when we, you know, when we want to, when we feel like we want to die. And I think what's sad today is you see so many young people who want to die. Some pain, something is, something's let them down. 
something's taken place in their life or hasn't taken place. And it's tragic. It's tragic that, that, that people will make that kind of choice to take their life in their own hands at such an early stage in their life. And they, they, they miss out. I, I am convinced of this, that every person who has ever taken their life in their own hands and taken their life, that one minute after they do that and they enter into eternity, they're sorry. I, I know it. I just know that. Because once you go into that state, there's no change. He says, like infants who never saw the light, I think Job could never imagine that killing babies would become an industry, taking the lives of innocent little babies. He could probably never imagine that. I, you, you can imagine if you just go back a couple year, couple hundred years in history, uh, you know, in, our, in our in our world, in our country, um, that would seem so bizarre. That would seem so crazy. Well, why do you want to kill a healthy young baby? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, sin can get things kind of twisted up, can it? Now he says, "There the wicked cease from troubling." That's not true. Again, we have more revelation of the afterlife and life after death than he did. So this is not true for the wicked. And there the, the weary are at rest, and there the prisoners uh, rest together. They do not hear the voice of the, prison, of the oppressor. Well, in hell they do. And again, he was a really great guy. He was a great man, Job. But he had limited revelation as it comes to this issue of the afterlife. We have so many more insights as we, you know, as we know the totality of Scripture, and particularly the New Testament. He says, the small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light uh, given to him who is in misery? Now, the word light and life are used interchangeably, okay, as, as, as he uses these two particular things. He says, uh, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter uh, of soul. Uh, here again, when, when we look at him in verse 20 here, this is, I think, the place where somebody may just surrender their faith. They might just sort of give up at this particular point, thinking wrongly that God has abandoned them. Why is light given to him in his misery? And life uh, to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come. They search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Now, I think it's very important to say, as we look at Job, as he's uttering these really dark thoughts here, that he never opts for suicide. That's never an option. He's not going to take his life in his hands. He's not going to be that foolish. But, but he feels like death. He, at this point, is wishing he died. He never opts for suicide. He says, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? So he, he still has his faith in God. He's still believing in God. And this hedge here, it isn't the hedge of safety that we saw over in chapter 1, 
But it's basically Job feeling imprisoned. He's feeling imprisoned by his circumstances. He feels absolutely hemmed in. He feels hedged in. He can't get out of this situation, out of this circumstance. And in the only place, in a sense, you know, that he has to look, look to is up. I mean, right now, he's looking to the grave. He's wishing, man, why am I alive? But he's not always going to feel like that. He's in a place of severe depression. Totally beat up by his circumstances, wishing that he was not alive, that he had died somehow. He probably thought, gee, why, why couldn't I have been at my, at my children's house and when that roof came down, it would have taken us all. That wasn't, God didn't allow that. God had a purpose in Job. He had a purpose in his life. Sometimes that purpose can be in someone's life that their life is short. John the Baptist. Look at all, look at all the, the, uh, the martyrs through history. I, it was interesting. I was reading uh, one author, and, he were, and it was uh, about the uh, massacre of infants uh, in Bethlehem by Herod. And I thought uh, he brought out a very interesting point. He said they were infant martyrs for their Messiah. And, and when you think about how many young people, you know, that, that, that the, the plan of their life uh, was a short plan, but yet uh, there was a fullness in it because why they, 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 they knew the Lord. So why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Uh, for my sighing comes before I eat. My groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. You know, it, it seems to be that uh, he had some kind of a maybe intuition or some kind of a spiritual insight that God gave him that this particular calamity, just a warning perhaps by God, you know, the, in, the, in the secular world they call it a premonition. Uh, premonition is actually, it's an Italian word, it's a, it's a Latin word. Uh, that has to do with warning, a, a pre-warning. Um, and so Job here, somehow, perhaps maybe the Spirit of God was preparing him. And he put it, he, he cloaked it in these words, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. The thing that I dreaded has happened to me. And maybe, just maybe the Lord had spoke something into his heart, um, preparing him, maybe him getting him ready for this particular trial because God knew it was going to happen. God, he knows, the, he knows the future. He knows your future. He knows my future. And that's why it's so important, I think, for you and I to keep walking with him, to keep looking to him, to keep trusting him. The thing he says to us in Jeremiah I have given you a future and a hope. So no matter what can take place in any one of our futures, there's hope there. There's an expectation. And here's the thing uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation and that is taken. Um, uh, that, that basically we come under. Uh, it's not going to overwhelm us. That, that God will always, he always provides a way of escape. Um, 
so, so that we can bear it. And Job is good. There's going to be an escape for Job. He's not going to be in this trial for the rest of his life. And so God is wonderfully faithful. Now, as we, as we, we end up here in chapter 3, Job's friends are waiting. Um, they were there for the week. Um, they were quiet, but they have been making some notes. And uh, they're going to basically, we're going to see here how they're going to, you know, what they have to say to Job. And, uh, and, and, and as, they, as they, you know, think that they can correct the mistake or they can fix the problem, whatever the case may be, um, you know, there's going to be something they can learn out of this too. And, and I think that we can learn as we go through these things, how we, you know, interact with people, how we help people, how we encourage people, what to say, what not to say, you know, how to be there, how to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And so the thing that I have feared or greatly feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for, fu for future, uh, for, excuse me, for trouble comes. So, um, in other words, he kiss, he, he's saying it keeps coming back. It's like a recurring theme. So, Father, we, uh, we thank you for Job. Lord, and I pray that as we study this man's great trial, that, Lord, uh, we also will be able to benefit by it. And, Lord, we're thankful that our times are in your hands. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your protection. Thankful, we're thankful, Lord, there's so many things about our future that we don't need to know. But we can know this, Lord, that you've gone before us. You're our point man. Lord, you're our flank. You're our rear guard. Lord, you're watching over us. Lord, we have made it thus far because of your great protection and your mercy and your grace in our lives. And we thank you for that. And Father, we pray as... Lord, we go back to our jobs and our circumstances, our homes and our situations. Lord, give us, we pray, Father. Lord, compassionate hearts. There's so many people around us, Lord. Lord, desperate. Lord, so many people that are without hope. But you're the God of hope. And you have placed a, a holy expectation, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. To know that, Lord, whatever our future holds that, Lord, you will always work things to the good. Lord, that's what the Bible is all about. We see it because, Lord, you're a good God. We thank you for your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your many, many blessings to us, to our love, loved ones, our families, and, Lord, to this church, even to our nation. So, Lord, we, we bless you tonight. We've got so much to, to say thank you for. And so we commit this uh, matter to you, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.